Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast. Today, my guest is Jill McLennan, who is a certified death doula and end-of-life coach, and she has her own podcast called Seeing Death Clearly. Today, Jill and I talk about the importance of having these conversations with our loved ones and our family members about their wants, desires, wishes, and needs. It's really important because when something does happen, because things do happen in life, that we're prepared and we know what to do and we know the next steps to take. In my own life, my father is deceased and my mother, if something were to happen to her, I know exactly where to go. I know the combination to the safe. I know where her important papers are. She has filed those important papers with her doctors. She has the power of attorney and living will done. She's filed those papers with the financial institution. And she's even gone as far as pre-planning and paying for all of the funeral arrangements. Now, this might sound morbid to some, but I have to say this takes the burden off of me. So if something were to happen to my mom, I don't have to make those decisions. I know what her wants and wishes are. They are on paper. And then instead of running around and making arrangements, I can really focus on my feelings and working through grief instead of being boggled down with tasks and endless things to do. This is so important. It takes the burden off of the people that we leave behind. And we never know when something's going to happen. So it's really important to have those conversations early and often because things do change. It's also important to tell our loved ones while they're here how much we love and appreciate them so that we don't have any regrets. And Jill and I talk about the death and dying process how it looks different from everyone, and some of the things to expect and the misconceptions. So I really hope you'll enjoy today's episode. I'm really happy to be bringing this topic to the table because I do find it important. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to like and subscribe because it will help so much. And I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast, a place to explore possibility through mindfulness, movement, and self-discovery. Our intention is to deliver insight and inspiration while fostering conversations that are genuine, unfiltered, and deeply human. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hi, good morning, Jill. I'm so happy to have you today with me on the Connected Community Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I love to talk about death. So (laughs) I'm excited when people give me the opportunity to share. Yes. And this this whole word death doula, which is is your profession, is kind of a new topic for me. A new not a new topic, definitely an old topic, but a new word, the death doula. So can you share a little bit about what that is? Of course, it is fairly new to, I think, a lot of people, even though there has been traditionally women throughout as long as humans have been around that have helped people in villages and, you know, your neighborhoods come into this world and then also leave this world, right? So we've had this profession a really long time, but we've gotten really far away from that. And now we're starting to see birth doulas more common. You know, when I had my kids even 12 years ago, I kind of knew what a birth doula was, but nobody knew was like using them. Now I Mm -hmm. feel like everybody is using a birth doula. And so we're starting to see on the opposite end, uh, people like me showing up to just help 
in a completely non-medical way. So it's a holistic form of support. It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical, um, and physical meaning, you know, everything from like helping people get paperwork together to some doulas will go and will sit bedside while somebody's dying. We will help you move your furniture around if we need to, to get you into a comfortable position. So like, that's the type of physical support. And it depends on the death doula. I will work with families. So it's not just my client that is the person that's maybe actively dying. I will work with, you know, their spouse, with their children, with their grandchildren, and really just make sure that everybody is understanding what's happening around the end of life. Everybody feels supported. They feel heard. And I also will work with grief. Not all death doulas will work with grief. But mm -hmm. I like to do kind of like before, during, and after death, just to kind of make something that most of us have avoided thinking about, talking about, and mm -hmm. experiencing it up close. You know, like even if you were to ask most people, you know, we've all had somebody we love die, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's a grandparent, a parent, you know, friends. But most of us weren't really up close for it because we just kind of either were sheltered from it because that's the way that our family did it, mm -hmm. or we were just not really super involved in the situation because it was uncomfortable and it was difficult. And it doesn't have to be as uncomfortable and as difficult as it is for a lot of people if we could prepare ourselves. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of what death doulas do. We work with clients around end of life, you know, concerns all around, again, emotional, spiritual, and physical. Mm -hmm. Is it mostly people on hospice that connect with you? No, actually, I would say most of the clients that I've had have not been on hospice. I actually have worked with more um, family members. I've mm -hmm. worked with people who are caregiving somebody that's dying, or even if they're not caregiving, they're, you know, a grandchild or a child of somebody that's dying or somebody that's already died. And I kind of work with the grief, the anticipatory grief, just even mm -hmm. knowing somebody you love is going to die. And most of my clients haven't actually been on hospice yet. And that's okay. part of what death doulas can even do is help you figure out, you know, when to call hospice, um, you know, which hospice is right for you. Most of the time, wherever you live, there's going to be more than one option mm -hmm. and they're all going to be a little bit different. So, you know, we kind of can help. Somebody actually once said to me that it sounds like I'm a party planner. And I was like, well, I guess in some <laughs> ways it is kind of like planning a party. Um, we're there to just kind of help with all those, you know, little logistical pieces. Um, but most of the time you really should actually contact a doula if you got diagnosed with a terminal illness, if somebody you love got diagnosed with an illness, even mm -hmm. if they're going to pursue treatment, it's a good idea to contact a doula earlier. Um, most people also don't even get onto hospice until mm -hmm. it's actually like really near the end when yeah. actually you should contact hospice earlier. There's a lot of services they provide right. that you can use earlier. Um, so definitely contact a doula. And honestly, even if you know, I'm 45, I'm reasonably healthy. And there's a lot of things that I needed to get in place, you know, in case for some reason, if something were to happen to me, if something were to happen to my husband, 
I don't want to be in a position where, you know, mm-hmm. we have two kids. Like I want to be able to take care of my needs and take care of my children's needs, not answer questions that I don't know the answer to because my husband and I never talked about it. And so death doulas can help you get clear on what you want for the end of life, whenever that is, right? I hopefully will not die for another 40 years, but at least now my husband knows we have it written down on paper. We have the conversation so that if something were to happen to me, he could take care of the children and, you know, work with them and not, mm-hmm. again, be answering questions that he's like, I don't even know what she wanted because we've never talked about it. So mm-hmm. contacting a doula at any point, honestly, is not a bad idea just to get mm-hmm. clear on what you want. Yeah. And I'm a big believer that everyone, um, especially once they have kids, should have a living will, advanced directives, um, and have those conversations. I know my husband and I have had those conversations and, you know, what would happen if something happened to both of us? What would happen to our kid and making plans for that and putting that in writing? And also, you know, if, if the A, B and C are going on, this is what I want you to do. Um, this is what I'm comfortable with. So we're both really clear going down, even down to burial arrangements and things like that. Um, I realize some people might think that's dark, but I think that that's smart because if something were to happen, everything's in place and I don't want any energy to have to go into, um, what, what would, what would I want or where would my kid go? Or like, I want all of that to be in place. Um, and I guess for my husband and I, that was an easier conversation, but I imagine for a lot of people, that's a really difficult conversation. It could definitely be a difficult conversation. And there is this idea that the conversation is dark or it's morbid or it's scary. And I like to say to people, first off, ask yourself why. Why do you think that it's scary? Why do you think that it's morbid? Why do you think that it's dark? Mm -hmm. Because it's a reality, right? Mm -hmm. We're all going to die. It's not like I'm saying I want it to happen. You know, by getting these things in place, I'm not saying, well, I hope my husband dies tomorrow. Like, no, that absolutely is not at all what Mm -hmm. that means. And the reason that it feels so dark and morbid and scary is because we've avoided it for Mm -hmm. so long. And then also think about the fact that we're really not afraid of dark and morbid and scary. Look how many podcasts there are out there about true crime, (laughs) right? Like Halloween. (laughs) Exactly. So we're really not afraid of morbid and dark. Mm -hmm. But yet for some reason, when it comes to this conversation, that's so important, we get really anxious. And it's like a lot of things that like in life, thinking about it, is sometimes actually scarier than doing it. Mm -hmm. And once you start the conversation, it's really not going to be as scary as you think it is. And it still might Mm -hmm. be emotional. Yes. You know, like there's going to be emotions that are going to come up, but it's important in life that we feel our emotions, right? We can't hide from emotions and these things are going to come up anyway. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you rather talk about it and think about it and work through it now? then wait until you have to make a decision and it's under extreme duress because Mm -hmm. you haven't thought about it. You haven't talked about it. You're still going to have to deal with some sad emotions, but I'd rather work through the things that I could work through now so that when it's time, I can really be present with my loved one 
again, not trying to figure things out that I really have no idea what the answer is to yeah. those questions. Yeah. Back a million years ago, I, um, I got an MSW and my first job out of grad school was working with hospice. <laughs> nice. Um, so I'm 23 years old, super young, going into all these homes, and um, and I was having these conversations with people. It was it was actually an incredible job, and um, and my job was to get that living will and power of attorney together and help them organize the funeral arrangements. Um, and I got so involved with some people that I would go with them to the funeral home. We'd pick out the caskets. We would do all of that. And I have to say it was incredibly time consuming, um, and incredibly, um, emotional. But when people were able to do that months and months ahead of time, um, first of all, it kind of prepared them for what was inevitably going to happen because these people were on hospice. Um, but it also, when they were in that situation, when the death did come, they didn't have to deal with this because it's super stressful and the, uh, funeral homes can take advantage of people in those vulnerable moments. And um, so to go in when you're able to think clearly and make those decisions, I think is so important um, and, and helpful for people if they're ready to do that, if they're ready to do that ahead of time. Yes, it can be very time consuming. When I do my end of life care plan with a client, it takes about three hours of conversation just to do this one plan, right? It's a piece of paper, well, multiple pieces of paper. And I want to take that amount of time. I want people to slowly think about these things, to have the conversation. And, you know, some of the conversation will be, you know, where do you want to be? Would you want to be at home? Would you want to have a hospital bed in your house? Would you prefer mm -hmm. to be in the hospital or in an assisted living? And so we'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about what their favorite sport was when they were a child, you know, like, because I want to make it not overwhelming. You know, we talk about some of the harder things. And then mm -hmm. we talk about life and things that they've enjoyed in their life. And it is a time consuming conversation. Mm -hmm. But it's important for us to take that time because think about it. I mean, in the long run, three hours is not that much time out of your life. Mm -hmm. So to take three hours to have this one conversation with somebody, to get this all down in writing, to get really clear so you could have the conversation with your loved one. And especially if you are younger, right, if you're overall healthy, this isn't like you sit down once and you have this conversation and it's this long three-hour thing. It's like, let's just start maybe asking one question of your partner or your parents or mm -hmm. whoever it is that you want to have the conversation with. And you sit you know, over dinner or maybe you're outside at night and you're having a glass of wine together and you just say like, hey, have you ever thought about like what you want at the end of life? You know, do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Mm -hmm. You know, do you have anything taken care of? Yes. And you just kind of have those conversations in short bursts over a longer period of time, which is why really we should start doing it now so that you mm -hmm. don't have to, you know, my clients that are nearing the end of life, like I really need this information now. And so we're going to sit and it's going to get done in three hours yeah. versus if you can start having the conversation. And it's just little tiny amounts over mm -hmm. a period of a few years, you know, get the things down in writing um, so that it's ready and people know where it is. But having the conversations that you need to have 
because it's not just about getting it in writing. You know, nobody's going to sit down if Mm -hmm. there was an accident, if there was an emergency, nobody's going to sit down and say, okay, well, they have their living will. Let me sit here and read through this entire thing and figure out, do they Mm -hmm. want life support? Do they want to be innovated? Do they want these different medical treatments? This is why we not just only need to have it in writing, but we need to also have the conversation so that our loved ones already know, even though you still need that legal piece of paper, but you need to be able to also have somebody that can advocate for you if you can't speak. And that's the thing too. Sometimes when I have these conversations with people, I'm like, this is worst case scenario. This is Mm -hmm. if something were to happen and I couldn't speak for myself. So even thinking about these things, it doesn't mean that any of these are even going to happen to you. It Mm -hmm. just means that we've thought about the different possibilities and it's just like creating a birth plan. I know when I had my son, you know, I had my birth plan, everything was written out. Like what would happen if this were to happen? What do I want? Mm -hmm. We didn't use anything in that birth plan, right? Good, bad, or otherwise, like things kind of went their own way, but at least my husband knew that if the doctor were to say, does she want to get a C-section? He knew that I didn't really want one unless it was medically like absolutely mm-hmm. necessary. We never yeah. even got to that point, but he right. knew it. It was written down. I felt better going into the situation that he knew what I wanted because yes, it, there was points during the, you know, the labor and the birth when I couldn't easily mm-hmm. communicate. I was mm-hmm. exhausted. Yeah. And so it was good to have him there to advocate for me and he knew what I wanted. So we need to also have the conversation. Mm-hmm. I remember having this conversation a long time ago with my mother because I think sometimes it is a little bit harder to go to a parent and ask them this information. And uh, But when I was a hospice social worker, I was on it. Um, and I realized the huge importance of my mom being able to state those decisions on our own, put them in writing, put them on paper, think about them. So if something were to happen, that would not fall on me. I don't want to have to make those decisions. Those are such hard decisions and they're so heartbreaking. And in that moment, um, I might get overwhelmed with, with emotion and, and, but here I have a piece of paper and she's explained exactly what she wants and doesn't want. And it takes that burden off of me. And so I think that that's a really important reason why everyone should have a living will, especially when they have kids to take that burden off of the family so that the family doesn't have to make those decisions. And that person in a, in a place where they're able to make those decisions and they're coherent are able to, um, make them for us. Yeah. It's a gift that you give your loved ones to do this Mm -hmm. because you're right. Nobody wants to have to make these decisions. And, you know, when you're in a situation and again, the doctors, they're going to be asking you questions like, you know, and this is no judgment against doctors, but it's not like they're necessarily calming and just like, all right, you know, what do you think your mother wants? It's like, no, we need to do this thing. We need to know now, Mm -hmm. like what's going to happen. That's not a way that I want to make any decision because most likely I'm just going to be like, I don't know, I guess just do whatever to keep them alive so that I have time to decide. Well, at that point, it's a lot harder to say to somebody, you know what? Yes, they're intubated, but you know, now the doctors are saying there's really no hope. Do you want to stop it? That's Mm -hmm. a lot harder to say, yes, please stop then no, don't even do it because I know that's not their wishes. I know that's not what they want. 
And so it's really just a gift that you can give your loved ones to have this conversation. Because I mean, when somebody is dying, you're always going to be sad, right? When you love somebody and they're dying, there's always going to be that sadness and that grief and that loss. I mean, there's nothing that we can do to fully prepare for that. So let's prepare for the things that we can. And it's a gift to everybody around you to have that already done. If we could view it that way too, I think it would be easier because I've talked to people where they'll say, oh, my mom, you know, I've tried talking to my mom or my mom's tried talking to me, but I don't want to have the conversation. And so people shut the conversation down. Oh, we don't Mm -hmm. need to think about that yet. You're not dying yet. We don't need to worry about that yet. And so the people around you shut it down. So even when somebody wants to have the conversation, it's not always Mm -hmm. well received, which is why sometimes, again, just asking some little questions, just gently starting the conversation, then it can lead to so much more. But it can be overwhelming if you're just like, hey, I want to talk about what I'm, you know, what I want when I, you know, am potentially dying. People are going to be like, I don't want to talk about that. So just, you know, there's Mm -hmm. ways to kind of start the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about when somebody's dying, because I'm so glad my, I've had a lot of death in the last six years of my family and I've, and they were on hospice and I was with them. Um, um, my father and my grandmother when they died. And thank goodness I had that hospice background floating in my head about all the things that were happening. Um, the modeling and the breathing and the breathing was so intense and scary. Um, the, the death that they call it the death rattle. Um, mm-hmm. and just being like knowing what was going to happen when it was going to happen. And then also there's uncertainty in that too. My grandmother decided to stop eating. Um, and, and she was a hundred pounds and, uh, everyone thought it was, was going to happen quickly for her. And, and that was her wish. And, um, she was very clear on that. And she was very lucid. Um, and she wanted quality over quantity. Um, and, but it took her a month. Uh, the doctors oh, wow. were floored. Everyone was floored. It took a month. Uh, she didn't eat a thing. Um, and so there's, there's, and then there's that waiting kind of, and a little bit of that guilt where you're like, oh, I want it to end. It's unbearable for me. It's, it's hard mm-hmm. to watch them. And it wasn't ending. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about those stages and how people can be aware of them and work through them. Yes, because it is a time in life when there is so much um, misconception about what it's going to be like. You know, we see these things on TV or we see them in movies, and it's really not the reality of what it looks like. Mm-mm. And it's like 10 minutes, five minutes on TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then they're just so peaceful and the eyes just close. And mm-hmm. you're right. You know, there is noises, there is smells, there you know, there's the, you know, I want to say like weirder things, but like there was some weird stuff the first time when I was with my grandmother, when she was again, talking to people that weren't in the room and she Mm -hmm. didn't know who I was. She thought I was somebody else. And then at one point she thought I was trying to kill her. And I was so overwhelmed because I just thought grandma's going to sleep because that's what I Mm -hmm. saw in movies. And that wasn't the reality. And so it's important, like anything else in life to really educate yourself around the realities of what it's going to be. 
And hospice mm-hmm. was a great resource for that for me. Um, but that's not really their job, even though they will do it a little bit. And somebody, you know, like you, if you're a hospice social worker, you know, they will come in and they'll answer questions for the family. But that's still not their main job. And so mm-hmm. it was important for me to learn about what that was really going to look like. And again, not everybody has the same, you know, experiences around the end of life. You know, some people will be mm-hmm. completely lucid, completely themselves right up until the end. They might never get the death rattle. My grandmother never had a death mm-hmm. rattle. And actually the first time I'd ever heard of that was from her because even as mm-hmm. she knew she was dying, she said, oh, you'll know it when I get the death rattle. And I was like, what the heck is that? And I'm like, what is she talking about? Yeah. And then yeah, I was mine like, didn't oh. either actually. My father did, but my grandmother didn't. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So everybody's going to be a little bit different, but that's why it is important to have support around you because that is part of what I do as a death doula. And that is part of what hospice does as well is really just kind of to say like, no, this is okay. This is normal. It's the body doing what it knows how to do. The body knows Mm -hmm. how to shut down. The body knows how to die. But you're right. In some cases, some people will stop eating and drinking and they will go on longer than we expect. Um, mm-hmm. Even sometimes when people will be completely unconscious, they'll go on longer than anybody expects. There's no exact timeline. Nobody can say to you, well, you know what? They're going to mm-hmm. die in the next two days or the next month or whatever it is. We have mm-hmm. ideas based off of what's happening, but nobody can say for sure. And really just knowing that, again, a lot of these things are natural. So if there is noises, um, there's medications that hospice can use, because that's, again, a big misconception where I've had so many people say to me, well, hospice came in and they gave my grandma morphine and they killed her. I'm like, well, that's probably not the case. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, nobody I've ever talked to in hospice would be willing to lose their license by giving your grandmother morphine and killing her first off. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. probably that you waited too long to call in hospice. So grandma was really very close to death already. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there is just so much fear around what hospice, you know, medications will do. And Mm -hmm. some of it is just to help with the breathing, to help people relax, to help people feel Mm -hmm. less in pain. And it's not the death that's actually giving them the pain. It's whatever it is that they're dying from. You know, most people nowadays, we don't die completely naturally. It's not like we just die of old age. We're going to die of heart disease. We're going to die of cancer. We're going to die of things that can lead to people being in pain at the end of life. But it's not the death itself. It's the disease Mm -hmm. that's causing them pain. So let's give them medications. Let's give them things that will help Mm -hmm. to keep them more comfortable so that dying is less Mm -hmm. painful. But there's so much fear around, mm-hmm. you know, hospice coming in and giving things, but we can do things that will help with some of those symptoms um, that are just a little bit scarier because, again, most of us have never seen it in person and it's really not like it is in the movies. But there's mm-hmm. no reason to stay away from somebody that you love that's dying. I've tried to encourage families. I volunteer at a hospital um, because as of now, I haven't really found any hospitals that will hire a death doula. 
So I volunteer as a death doula Mm -hmm. and I'll go into rooms with somebody that's actively dying and the family's just so uncomfortable. They they don't want to even get near their person. They're afraid to touch them. I'm like, no, like, let's sit. You can hold their hand. Mm -hmm. You can touch their forehead. You know, you can talk to them. You can read to them. Just let them know that you're here. There's no, you're not going to hurt them by, you know, going up and holding their hand. But that's again, that fear Mm -hmm. of like, I don't know what's happening. They don't look like they always have, you know, because that's the thing, the body will start to look differently as it's dying. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a natural process. The body knows what to do. We just want to control everything as humans. And so it makes us feel like Mm -hmm. we're kind of losing control. But in the long run, the body's going to do what it needs to do to end its life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the morphine, and I realize morphine is definitely a valuable drug to keep people comfortable. When we were on hospice, hospice told us somebody's going to give your grandmother her last dose. Um, and explained that that wasn't killing her, but it was giving her the last dose. That was me. I ended up giving her the last dose. Um, and that's a pretty intense thing to sit with where you give somebody the, the morphine and that's mm-hmm. like the final release for them. My dad died three years later. Same thing. My husband was there. I was like, I can't do the morphine. <laughs> I can't do the morphine because it, there is, there is, if you are doing morphine, there is going to be somebody that gives that last dose. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's not that it kills them, but it it gets them out of pain, and it there's there's somebody that's going to give that last dose. I don't know. Yeah, actually, um, I and like just being that okay wording. with that. Yeah, having somebody yeah. say that to again kind of educate a family that somebody is going to be the one to give the last dose. Yes. It doesn't mean that that's what kills them. It's just that yes. it may be. The hospice nurse, it may, I mean, I was giving my grandmother morphine out of the little, yeah. you know, dropper and, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't the last one to give it to her, but somebody mm-hmm. has to be the last one because the body yeah. will eventually die. And yeah, I like that wording actually. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing I found in hospice was that, um, I would always encourage the families, uh, to say, I, thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. Goodbye. So you're mm-hmm. thanking them for all of the things that they, they did and how they fulfilled your life. Right. And, and, and having that sharing and that closure. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry is a great way to release that guilt of anything that you've been holding on that you're sorry. And then, um, Thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. Goodbye. And that goodbye, that permission to let go is so important and so profound. And I've seen so many patients waiting and waiting, waiting, thinking that they're um, holding on for their family members. And once their family members give them permission, that's what allows them to let go or they're waiting. And then that person gets on a plane and then they arrive and they're there and then they let go. Also, the family that doesn't want the family there, where where the, the, the person is surrounded by family and the one time in four days they all go and they grab something to eat at the cafeteria and they come back and that person's let go and they wanted to be alone. And so um, there is 
there is an importance in having that conversation and those closures, both for that person and for yourself. And I feel like if we can have those conversations, thank you, I love you, I'm sorry, goodbye. If we can have those conversations with our family, then um, it creates so much more healing for the people that are left behind. I think we should have those conversations anyway. That's one of the biggest things that I learned. Yeah. Right. With becoming a death doula, I was like, wow, like this really could happen at any point. You know, I Mm -hmm. don't want it to happen soon, but it could happen at any point. And so why am I going to wait until somebody is, you know, sometimes literally on their deathbed to say, I'm sorry, or to tell them how much I love them and how much I appreciated them? Why am I holding on to this, you know, anger and this you know, guilt and this shame and all of these things. Why don't I just do this now? And Mm -hmm. it really has allowed me to live my life. So I don't want to say better, but like, I really do feel like I live life more present. I enjoy life Mm -hmm. more. I'm more patient with my children and my husband. I mean, I really, it changed the way that I lived my life. And so now I can feel comfortable that if, you know, the superstitious part of me is like my husband just left, he's on an airplane to like fly to Chicago, you know, there's part of me that's like, God forbid, if anything were to happen to him, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't ever have to think, oh my gosh, I wish I would have said, I'm sorry. I wish I would have told him how much I appreciate how much he does. You know, I wish I would have said, I love you. Because there was definitely times in the past when Life is busy. We're running around. You know, we're frustrated with each other because we're humans and we get frustrated with other humans. It's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. And so maybe if he was leaving on a trip, I would have just been a little bit more like, all right, yeah, I'll see you when you get back. Where now I really make sure that I take that time. I love you. I hope you have a great trip. Give him a kiss goodbye. So that if it was for some reason the last time that I ever Mm -hmm. see him, I wouldn't have that guilt and that feeling of like, I really wish I would have just told him these things when I had the chance. And so we just need to do that now. But if we didn't do Mm -hmm. it now, I also Mm -hmm. don't think that it's ever too late. You know, if somebody is dying, you're right. Like, tell them what they meant to you, you know, really apologize for the things that you wanted to apologize for. It's never too late to do that. And I also believe it's never too late to do that, even if somebody's already died. You know, right. we can yes. still find that closure. We can still say those things, but it's not going to be the same as if we were doing it daily in our life of just really connecting with people and letting them know what they mean to us while we have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that that in an ideal world, we would all do that. Um, but then distance and families living apart and, and in other states that creates a little bit of a separation where we're not having those conversations as much. Um, and I think the one thing that I found really helpful to understand was that hearing is the last thing to go. And so even if somebody looks like they're completely out of it, they're still able to hear. And so, um, to be able to hold that person's hand and to talk to them, even if they're not responding back, they're still getting those messages. Yes, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, I even talked with a woman who, um, she said that she was so connected with her mother as she was dying 
that they were like telepathically communicating where she was like hearing in her mind responses from her mother. She said it was the most amazing experience. And again, part of me is like, I don't know, especially when people are in that space where they're like half in one world, half here, you know, wherever we go, I still don't know. And I will never Mm -hmm. know, honestly, until I die. Um, But that maybe that would be very possible if we were open to that, that if we opened our mind and opened our heart, that maybe our person could communicate with us in a way that they would not have been able to in a different Mm -hmm. time in life. But I think even for me, like you were saying how, you know, it's hard with people now, we're so spread out, we're all over the place. I guess like for me, some of it was, I had to also just be okay with the fact that some people I'm never going to have closure with. And that Mm -hmm. as long as within me, I'm okay, if they were to die tomorrow, I wouldn't feel like, oh, I wish I would have said this, I wish I would have said that. Then that was okay. I maybe haven't said things to people because I feel like it doesn't really make a difference. I'm probably not going to get a response that would make me feel better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they maybe won't take it well because, again, sometimes people think I'm a little bit weird when I'll say things and I'm like, I just want you to know this thing. And they're like, why are you saying that to me? You know, and so mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we have to do that as long as we're okay within ourselves. That if they were to die tomorrow, or if I were to die tomorrow, that I would be okay with it. But again, it's hard because if we've avoided ever thinking about the fact that people we love could die tomorrow, or I could die tomorrow, then we can't ever really get clear on these things. So we need Mm -hmm. to think about it first. That's like the first step. At least just acknowledge that we're all going to die and that we don't really know when, and we don't really have control then that's yeah. a good place to start with it. Yeah. How do you work with the people that um, are very afraid of death and and um, and of touching that person and talking to that person and being in the space and it's just too much for them? Um, with no judgment there uh, when I say that because I we all have our, our skeletons and our things that are dark and, and difficult for us. And for some people, that's their worst nightmare. And so how do you work with them to get what they need from the experience, get that closure? Um, and, and also the patient when, when they're alert and aware and they can feel their family withdrawing and pulling away, what advice do you have? I think you nailed it right there where you said there's no judgment because even though sometimes I can observe it and I will feel a little frustrated because I'm like, but for real, you you need, you need to do this now. You need to go Mm -hmm. in there now. Like there's not going to be another chance. But I can't push anybody. I can't force anybody. I just have to show up and support them where they're at with no judgment. And even people that think they're going to be fine may not be when the time comes. Even people that think they might be completely freaked out might actually show up and all of a sudden just feel really comfortable and really confident and really able to go in and sit and do the things that they didn't think they were going to do. Like we, we don't know how we're going to react until we're in that moment. And so Mm -hmm. my job isn't to ever force anybody to do something they don't feel comfortable with doing. And Mm -hmm. so I try to 
really just ask a lot of questions and just sit and listen and be able to allow somebody to feel comfortable vocalizing whatever it is that's on their mind. Because that's the thing where, what is it that we're so afraid of? You know, like, why do you not want to go in the room? What is it that you're scared might happen? What is it you're afraid Mm -hmm. of seeing or hearing? You know, and also maybe you go into the room and then you decide that, you know, I really can't do this. That's okay too, right? Nobody's Mm going to force you to stay there. You have the freedom to leave, to do what you need to do, you know, really encouraging people to honor what they need in that moment. And for some people, it can be really hard because there's old wounding that's going to be coming up. And so maybe it's a family member that abused you and really traumatized you and they want you to be there. And everything in your being is saying, nope, I don't want to be there. I don't want to do it. Then don't Mm -hmm. do it. You know, I will never try to force somebody. I will never guilt them. Like, well, your dad's dying. How could you not go in there? And anybody that's trying to do that to you, And that's where like, sometimes as a death doula, I'm like, in some ways, I'm going to be a little bit of like your bouncer, where if somebody's trying to force you, if somebody's trying to come in the room that you don't want, like, I will stand up to them and say, no, you know, this is not what they want. You know, they don't want this conversation happening. They don't want this person, whatever it is. But again, I need to know these things. This is why it's best to start this relationship earlier so that I can have these conversations and know what's going on. But a lot of old wounds are going to be opened up when we're facing the end of life with people. Mm-hmm. And even siblings, I mean, how many times, and I'm sure you probably yes, saw it. <laughs> oh my people start oh, fighting like crazy. Like crazy. And, and, and there's a lot of said. greed that money, greed stuff comes up so much. Yes. I was shocked how much that comes up. I was honestly shocked as well. And I kind of saw it happen in my own family, which was really, I think about it. And I'm like, my grandmother would be heartbroken, honestly, Mm -hmm. if she knew what happened after she died, she would be heartbroken. And, you know, and I try to not have the judgment and the, you know, the anger towards anybody, like, because again, we're all human. It we're all doing the best we can. I do fully believe that. Whether I agree mm-hmm. that somebody's best is as best as any human could do, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people that could work on healing themselves so it's not getting pushed onto other people. But like at the end of life, things really do get dug up and stirred up and things get said that can't be unsaid. You can't take it back. Mm-hmm. And it really, if you were to look at it, it's not the death itself. It's not even the money. It's just something that went back to probably when you were children that, you know, people can't actually work with the real root of their problems. It just gets projected out onto whatever is closest in that moment. And when death is happening, Mm -hmm. and then again, and now all of a sudden there's death. So we're grieving and we're hurting. And then money gets involved. And then it just becomes also like this battle where once we choose our sides, then we're dug in for years and years and years, right? We're never going to let this go. 
over something as silly as money when I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't have any thing in my life monetary wise that is worth more to me than my husband and my children and my mother and even a lot of my cousins. Like mm-hmm. there's really nothing that money could ever buy me that is worth more than those relationships. And so why are we letting things like money break up our relationships with our siblings? Because again, I think if my children, if they fought over money after I died and stopped speaking to each other, I would probably come back and haunt them first off. Like, yes. what is wrong with you? Like, please, yes. please don't do this. But that would break my heart. You know, like, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know why it happens so often other than I think we just don't heal our old wounds and mm-hmm. it's just it comes up and we don't actually face it we just choose to fight instead because it happens mm-hmm. a lot it's really sad yeah in some ways the death brings people together and then in other ways it just breaks people apart um i've seen both for sure yeah some families it will it'll bring people together they'll be closer afterwards they you know are able to really you know, if you think about it, the death of a loved one is so intimate. There's not going to be many times in a life that you're going to be as close with somebody as you will be when they're dying. Or again, Mm -hmm. if you're supporting somebody that's dying right along with your siblings or a parent or whatever it is. And if we allow ourselves to really open up to the experience and really connect with the other people that are part of this experience and cry together and grieve together and do all the things that we really shy away from, it can really be this, you know, it's like, it seems weird to say almost like a beautiful experience because again, somebody's yeah. dying, yeah, right? Be. Right. Yeah. Like we're, we're not going to ever stop people from dying. We're all going to die. So why not try to make it the most beautiful experience that we can make it? And I've heard stories, I've not seen it myself, but I've heard stories of people that come in and they're singing and they're all together and they'll bring candles Mm -hmm. and flowers and like really make it into Mm -hmm. almost like this beautiful ritual experience. We do this around so many other things in life, but yet with death, we're afraid to make it into an experience that isn't something that is, you know, on the darker side, the scarier side when it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be. Yes. A celebration of life. I mean, I just went to a funeral with um, a family member that was really young and uh, she left behind two, two 12 year old twins. And, um, and they said, please, everyone wear white. We don't want this to be dark and everyone wearing black. We want this to be a bright and we want this to be a celebration of of life. And I think also with that celebration of life is that something when somebody's somebody's dying is bringing those conversations in and those those uh all the family members getting together with the with their loved one and sharing um all those moments and all those memories and all those beautiful things that they shared together is a really nice way to get closure, to make everyone feel good and um and uh to just kind of work through that process in a, in a softer way. Yeah. I like the celebrations of life where, again, that needs to be planned ahead of time though, right? You need to communicate mm-hmm. that ideally with people that you want it to be, you know, full of music and 
I'm actually working on, um, I belong to a Buddhist center in Philadelphia because I'm right outside of Philly. And so I'm working right now on a celebration of life for one of our members and he planned the mm-hmm. whole thing out. And so I'm in charge of the food because that's my background is food service. Yeah. And so I'm going to buy all of his favorite beers and his favorite wine and all of these cheeses. I'm going to get really nice desserts and we're just going to set it up in a way he was like, I want people to feel like you're coming to a party and that there's going to be music. Yeah. So there's a musician that's going to be there that's going to be playing yeah. music. And but we wouldn't have known that if he didn't tell us that. And then we were the ones that communicated to the family, you know, like he worked with some of the members of, we call it a Sangha, right? That's basically just like the group of Mm -hmm. us. Um, So he worked with some of the members of the Sangha to like plan it all out. And then the family got involved because his family's not Buddhist. It's just, you know, regular family members that are now going to come and be part of this celebration with us that he planned himself. I'm just executing it for him, but he Mm -hmm. needed to communicate that with us. And it's beautiful that he did because it's, you know, it's going to be very uplifting and it's really going to be more of a Mm -hmm. celebration of his life versus a, you know, funeral that can just be, I feel like a lot of times now funerals are very, um, there's just like no emotion. Yeah, they're like, yeah. they're very heavy. You don't even really see people crying anymore. It's like people are just very like, we go through the motions, we walk through the lines, mm-hmm. we see the family, you know, maybe a little bit of the family's crying. But for the most part, there's not like a lot of emotion. They're just yeah. this weird thing that we do. And I think that having a some type of ceremony when a life ends is important. I think we need that as humans for closure, but I don't find that most funerals are providing that for people anymore. It's just another thing that we do versus a space to really come in and express our love and our gratitude and our sadness and our grief over Mm -hmm. a life that is no longer here. But being able to do that with our community and feel that support and feel that love. It just, we don't really have that too much anymore, which is unfortunate. And probably if all of our loved ones were to pass away and um, have a wish for us, it wouldn't be for us to sit around and be mourning them. It would be for us to find joy and celebration. Um, But it also makes me think of, I just heard this on a podcast, I think, um, and it struck home where we can't, we can't escape grief. We can't escape trauma. And so when a trauma happens or when a death happens or when something like that happens, um, if we just kind of skip over it and write a book about it, or we, we, um, kind of just pass through those emotions without processing them, then it's going to come and bite us in the ass later. Mm -hmm. And so it is really important for people to take that time in, in however they do it. It could be a celebration of life, but however that they do it to process those feelings and not put them off because they will come back. There's no escaping grief. There's no escaping trauma. And not that every death has to be heavy and dark because, uh, the ones that I experienced had a little bit of that, but they, but, but it was also like, wow, they lived such a good life and it was time. They were really old and it was time. Um, and, but I do think that we can't escape grief completely. Yeah. And that's why as a doula, I do like to work with people around grief 
because I have found really in anything in my life that if I try to push the emotions down and I try to push anything away, it just comes up later on in a way that usually Mm -hmm. is that it's taken out on somebody else, either somebody that I love or Mm -hmm. the random person that cut me off on the road and I'm screaming Mm -hmm. like a lunatic. And then I'm like, where did that even come from? Why, why am I so upset? And so when I work with people around grief, I really try to encourage them to use all of their senses, use their whole body to work through the grief. Um, I'm a big one on, you know, embodiment of really having things that get stored in our body. And so we need to move them out. So whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, doing some type of exercise that you like dancing, walking, you know, doing something that moves your body, you know, whether people like to journal, I like the idea of writing by hand, because again, it's incorporating the body, it's incorporating the movement, but getting these emotions out. So it could be writing poems, it could be singing, but getting the words out as well that are kind of running through our mind and resting. You know, we don't really rest well in our culture where we just keep pushing and we keep pushing and we keep pushing rather than listening to our body and saying, no, right now, maybe I do need to sleep a little bit more. Maybe I do need to just spend some time laying in bed, watching a movie so that I can just allow my body to rest Yeah, and giving ourselves that permission to do it. But we just, we put so many rules around grief. You know, if it's a parent, you could grieve this long. If it's a spouse, you could grieve this long. If it's a child, you could grieve this long. Anything else Mm -hmm. really, you don't get any amount of time to really grieve. You know, our jobs don't allow it. The people around us in a lot of cases don't allow it. There's a little Mm -hmm. bit of that even if it's not openly said, there's that kind of like, well, why aren't you over this yet? You know, it was a month. Yeah. It was a you know yeah. a year, and it's it and it's a wave years. thing. It it goes in waves. It can come back and then slap you. <laughs> yeah, especially if we're not honoring it every time that it comes up. I had actually talked with a woman a couple months ago that you know she said her one of her parents had died years ago. It was like five years ago or something, and she said that. Just recently, she allowed herself to really just cry, like sob and wail Mm. and cry and release it. And she said it's the first time in years that she felt honestly like better because Mm -hmm. the first five years, every time she would feel like that she had to cry, she would push it down like a couple tears, but you know, she would just push it down. She would push it down. She would push it down. And then she kept wondering why it's been so long and why she still feels so terrible. And when she finally gave herself the permission to really allow her body to grieve, now she actually feels better. She feels like she can move on from it. So we just, we need to give ourselves the permission to feel it fully because pushing it down is just going to extend the process. If we honor it every moment that we can, and that's why even anticipatory grief, you know, we try to put up this, like, you know, this real strong, like, no, like I'm fine. I'm going to do what I need to do. And in some ways, when you're caring for somebody that is at the end of life, there is a lot to do. And so we can easily distract ourselves by staying really busy and taking care of all this stuff and not actually admitting to ourselves that 
we're starting to grieve already because we know this person's going to die. And if we can just give ourselves that space, I mean, I actually even wrote a, um, a caregiver like journal that I have for people to just be able to, at the end of the day, you know, when you're caregiving somebody at the end of the day, check in on how you feel about different things. It has, you know, like journaling prompts because I'm the type Mm -hmm. of person where sometimes I'll, I'll be like, I know I need to journal. And I sit down and I like stare at the paper and I'm like, all right, now what? Um, So journaling prompts can kind of help me at least get started on getting some of these things out. But if we can just allow ourselves to feel the grief throughout the entire process, it actually will help us move through it a little bit quicker than just shoving it down, which is like putting that Band-Aid on, you know, and only lasts for so long. Eventually, it's going to have to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful point. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jill, for this conversation. Do you uh, have any last words of wisdom that you want to share with us? Really, it's don't be afraid to think about these things. Don't be afraid to have these conversations. Like it, it'll be okay. You can get through it and you can also get support. You know, that's why death duel is, I mean, people can reach out to me if you want to have these conversations. If you want to start thinking about it, you know, reach Mm -hmm. out to me. I can support people really all over the world. I mean, that's the wonderful Mm -hmm. thing nowadays. We can do this work together anywhere, but don't be afraid to get started with it. And how do people connect with you and find you? So my business is End of Life Clarity. That's what I am on all the social medias. So on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, on, you know, all this stuff. Um, That's my website as well. And people are welcome to email me. um, Or if you find me on Facebook, you can, you know, direct message me on Facebook. I even have a Facebook group where I post questions every day to get people thinking and talking about end of life and living life. Um, Mm -hmm. So people are welcome to join my Facebook group, but I would be happy to talk to anybody. I do the, you know, 30 minute, you know, complimentary consultation just to see if we will be a good fit to work together. But I love to support people around anything with the end of life. So definitely reach out to me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jill, for your time. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing out in the world. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, and also I do have a podcast if anybody wants to listen to conversations about death. Um, It's called Seeing Death Clearly. So similar to my business name, but I have conversations similar to this, but with a bunch of different people that are either professionals or just, you know, quote unquote, normal people that have experienced death and dying. And again, it's not morbid. It's not scary. They're just really lovely conversations just to get used to hearing people talk about death and dying. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you, Nikki, for having me. Thank you for listening to the Connected Community Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe. I can be found at www.nikkiyyoga.com, N-I-C-K-Y, y y o g a dot com until i see you again next week i hope you have a beautiful day